HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working building in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Need a professional place to work from? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 150 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And I know every single one of them loves and subscribes to Tech Bytes, this show where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. We are live. Today is Tuesday, June 4th, 2019, if you're listening in the future, and I know many of you do. You probably are listening on your favorite podcasting platform like iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. So today we have, a, we have a very interesting show. It's something that has been on my list of things to do. This season, actually, the summer season is covering off on a lot of stuff I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. Today we have Tessa Price, who is head of programming for WeWork Food Labs in New York City. And it's a great time to have her on because they also recently are launching their first cohort for their first accelerator. So Tessa, glad to have you on the show. Yeah. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for taking a break from going through the 250 applications you guys got. Yeah. So over the weekend, it actually ticked up to about 500. That doubled from when I spoke to you last week. Yeah. That's people, amazing. Everyone loves a deadline, it turns mm-hmm, out. So mm-hmm, yeah, we've yep, had a great response. It's the sense of urgency. For sure. Yeah. So we are going to do like we always do. We're just going to start the show talking about apps, new ones we've discovered, old favorites that have been living on the home screen maybe for like 10 years. First up on the mic, is he in the back? Uh, yes. There he is. I'm I, here. Can't, I can't see you. Oh, hi. <laughs> That's just... Matt Patterson. He is our engineer. He's sitting in this perfect spot. We have two windows between I try and make sure the I can never be seen. and Mission Control, and he's right in the middle. So Don't it looks look like at me. he's not there. That's why you're on radio. Yep. <laughs> Do you have an app for us today that you like? I like how you used ticked up to mean doubled. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's not that's not a tick up, by the way. No, doubling is not ticked up. I don't think so. Because but doubling is more know. substantial. Ticked up, does that sound too small? Yeah. Okay. Ticked fair. up is like marginally increased. That's not it's like five percent. 
Um, all right, I'm going. So I'm I'm in the category. Diction- of, uh, is the dictionary app your app today? <laughs> yeah, dictionary app's my app today. Word of the you day. Know what? I don't. I would, but I don't have one. Um, mine is equally enthralling. Uh, how about Adobe Scan? It's my it's my go to oh. scanner app. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and huh. I just shouted out Evernote last week, which mm-hmm. has a scanning function, but Adobe Scan is so much better. So what do you use it for? I don't know. Just when I have to make a copy of some document for somebody. So that means you have an actual paper artifact? Yeah, if I have a paper artifact that I want to destroy because I have no way of successfully like keeping and filing paper artifacts, that's not the era we live in. It's amazing. Really amazing. You know, you used to have a scanner on your printer. I've heard of a printer. Back in the day, they had these things called all-in-one, and it was a printer fax. Scanner. Oh, yeah, they had the phone on the side. Yeah, yeah it plugged uh-huh. into a modem. Are these words that you you know, or do you need that dictionary app? Um, this, is, this is like just after the telegraph, right? <laughs> right, somewhere in between the telegraph and, and, uh, and Adobe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Test I was you- trying to, what was it? What's the one? Oh, Periscope. That's what I was trying to come. Never mind. Oh, right, Periscope, bye. that's a different one. That's video broadcasting. Yes. That's interesting for the guy who doesn't want to be seen. Truth. <laughs> Although maybe you're behind the camera. You're behind. You're filming. I'm too. Yeah, I'm too busy periscoping to like <laughs> be seen by you right now. <laughs> that is a different show. But maybe we'll do that. We didn't do a show on Periscope, and I was going to a few years back when people started marching and protesting, and Periscope became the live news feed to the world. I have I have a good friend in San Francisco who was working on a project. He wanted he and his buddies, uh, three of them, wanted to create a board game. Like they were just interested in game design, like Risk, a- Monopoly, like Risk or Monopoly, yeah, or something sure. like that. Candy Settlers Land. of Catan for for the modern era. Um, and, Crimes against uh, humanity. And uh, eventually, the other guys got busy with a different project and decided to abandon my friend and his board game. And that project was Periscope. So huh. that worked out pretty well. Oh, wow. The project they went to was Periscope, not your friend's board Yeah, the game. thing that was taking up their time such that mm-hmm. they couldn't do the Good board game them. was Periscope. Good for them. Is your friend like in a basement with with paper and dice now? <laughs> Currently, like right now? Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Tessa, do you have a, an app that you like? And the only rule is that, and I say this because you're in the innovation space, you're not allowed to talk about an app that you own, invest in, or have worked on. Got it. That sounds fair. Um, this is controversial, but I love Asana. I am so at in my office. There's a, a very strict division between Monday.com people and Asana people for task management, and I am team Asana, team Asana 100%. Um, I love List, and any list keeping app is really up my alley. How aggressive is the conflict? Um, it's not too aggressive, but I would say that there are teams of people that that maybe don't communicate on a regular basis because they're using the different platforms um but we've we've built some bridges recently so we have some slack integrations that kind of help everyone get on the same page interesting yeah for sure interesting different different work struggles for sure new work struggles yeah it's no longer just like sheet of paper google calendar the task management software plays pretty heavily into what we do interesting and there's so everyone gets to sort of freeform their own agenda. There's no company policy or programming or we definitely have different 
divisions within WeWork who have grown up using different technologies, but for the most part, it's just the preference of whomever's leading that particular initiative. Okay. Yeah. Well, you have a lot of different people working in the same space. For sure. So let's get to the, let's get to the heart of the story. Have, I'm assuming most of our listeners have heard of WeWork. Maybe you haven't heard of WeWork if you're outside the United States. It's a pretty American phenomenon. Are you international now? We are. We have over 460 locations around the world. We're in about 30 countries, and we're opening on our sixth continent this summer, uh, which is Africa. So a tick less than the listeners of Heritage Radio, Just which slight, is at 150. Slightly smaller, yeah. yeah. Um, but good. Very Next good. time I talk to you, maybe it will have doubled to 60. Potentially. We work as a co-working space. Uh, that basically means you rent an office space within an office. It could have a wall and a door if you wanted one. It could just be a desk out with lots of other desks. It could be a grouping of desks if you were a group of people. You can expand and contract your size based on what you need. It has all the, it's basically, you know, ready to go. You walk in and sit down and it has coffee, Wi-Fi, photocopiers, meeting spaces, all that kind of stuff. So it's ready to go. And it, these types of shared working spaces have really become sort of, I think, the default standard for most startups simply because it allows you to have a regular workspace for a much smaller financial investment than real estate typically costs, especially in a city like New York. So that's sort of the general progression of WeWork, and I'm sure there were so many... I always thought of WeWork as being downtown in Manhattan, filled with entrepreneur and startup people. And then, I think it was last year, I went to a WeWork for a meeting in Midtown, off Fifth Avenue, around 50th Street, maybe. There are a few up there, for sure. And I walked in, and it was so Midtown corporate, like, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And it really surprised me. And all the people in there were corporate doing, like, financial business type stuff versus you know, Periscope startup. Yeah, it's been an interesting, an interesting transition for sure. So as WeWork has grown, we've seen this shift in our membership um, and about 40% of the Fortune 500 currently hold WeWork office space. So there has been this massive uh, transition towards more enterprise level companies versus those early stage founders and startups. Is that because it's just financially more effective? Are they short term office spaces for an enterprise company, which could mean anything less than five years. Yeah, I think there are a few advantages. I mean, it's a month-to-month commitment, or it can be a month-to-month commitment, which is great for teams that are growing or transitioning. I think a lot of people are really attracted to the culture of WeWork, the energy and the innovation that really surrounded WeWork in its early days and as we started to grow and expand. And I think a lot of larger businesses saw employees who maybe had worked for startups or who maybe interned and worked in WeWork offices uh, early in their career who were really attracted to that work style and really liked the the flow and the functionality of the WeWork spaces and they wanted to be able to activate that for their team. So we see a lot of these bigger businesses who are interested in innovating and interested in capturing a really vibrant workforce and I think that WeWork speaks really well to those situations. So the space and the environment that WeWork creates is strong enough to be a malleable force to a traditional business. I think so. 
Because, you know, I'm sort of thinking if you take a bunch of super corporate, very traditional office people, like a big office team, and you just drop them into the WeWork space, is the space enough to sort of change the workflow and change their point of view we think if, they're, so. if they're a tight corporate group? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the really cool things that WeWork does is we study the way that people work in our spaces. We study the way that people move through our spaces. We know which tables people are more inclined to sit at. We know what resources people utilize the most frequently. And we can actually look at an organization and speak to them about their goals and the opportunities that they have and design a workspace that meets those, those goals. How do you study them? Uh, so a lot of it is just <laughs> observational. So we yeah. have community teams in all of our buildings. and Like it's people not in lab coats with clipboards, like observing, taking notes? Or is it like big brother cameras watching everybody and then somebody somebody analyzes no. the videotape? Nothing nothing that <laughs> creepy. And actually, I think the, the WeWork headquarters tends to be the guinea pig for a lot of these mm-hmm. studies. But it's everything from putting very small... Um, space analytics devices under underneath seats so we can understand when people are sitting in a seat and it captures nothing more than the presence of a physical body in that Mm -hmm. space interesting yeah so it's it's some of it's low tech some of it's high tech some of it is really just we have community teams who begin to understand this phone booth is really heavily utilized that couch is never sat upon and we're able to start to gather some of this feedback and this data and really start to build out very effective efficient workspaces interesting i wonder if restaurants are using that seat technology and things like that it's fascinating it's a different show i don't want to get sidetracked It's a rabbit hole. We could very easily go down. Oh, yeah. But I think it's it's interesting that you bring up a restaurant because if you ask a hostess, mm-hmm. if you ask the hostess at Roberta's where people like to sit, she would immediately be able to tell you what the most popular seats are and which are ones that people right. ask to shy away from. And I think it's the same for our community teams. But out at the Tiki Garden, which they just recently redid. Sure. If you haven't been to Roberta's in a bit, the Tiki Garden's all brand new, the new bar and all that. It's pretty spiffy they could use that technology out there to figure out what the popular tables are and things like that. In a, I mean, in a restaurant where you're seated by a host, they're managing the tables, but in something that's larger mm-hmm. where people seat themselves or it, that's the style of restaurant where people seat themselves, then, you know, that could tell you. Interesting. Yeah. So the labs are an idea of getting back to that entrepreneur startup environment in a much more concentrated and comprehensive way. Absolutely. So how did it come to be that food was the first lab situation that started? And explain a little bit what the lab is exactly. Yeah, for sure. So Because again, I, my mind goes a little bit to the, the white lab coats and the there clipboards. There are no lab coats, I okay. promise. Although I kind of want one now. Um, but the, the WeWork Labs program launched in January of 2018. And the thought was really to provide dedicated physical workspace within WeWork for early stage startups and their founders. There had always been a culture of innovation at WeWork, but it had kind of fractured or scattered a little bit as we grew. And with the labs program, we were actually able to bring early stage founders into the same dedicated physical locations. There are about 68 um, industry agnostic lab spaces operating around the world, and we support over a thousand startups. 
Food Labs is the first industry vertical. And I think that came about because WeWork has made some uh, pretty strong decisions around the way that we source food for our membership and for our employees. So WeWork will no longer spend WeWork dollars on the purchase of meat or poultry. We're committed to using um, no single-use plastics in our spaces, and we're committed to being carbon neutral by 2023. So we kind of, on one hand, had grown this program to support innovation, and on the other, had taken a really hard look at the way that we purchased and consumed food as a company and our potential to influence the food ecosystem as a corporation, and realized that there was the potential to create some synergy between those two initiatives. Does the food purchase commitment, where, where does dairy fall on the spectrum? Dairy is permitted. We do have Because I'm thinking of the coffee. Oh, yeah. No, we have, um, we make every effort to source local milks, mm-hmm. local traditional dairy milks, but we also have oat milk, almond milk, um, and we're... All the we're, milks. All the milks. We have okay. all of the milks. Um, and it's funny, I was talking to one of the baristas at our headquarters the other day, and WeWork is the only space he's ever worked in where oat milk is the number one milk choice, and mm. whole milk is second. So, yeah. That must mean that you don't have a lot of people on keto. I guess not. I don't know. Or Whole30. Maybe not. I mean, or we have any all of those fat-adapted diets. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Maybe they drink black coffee. It's unclear. Or put butter into it uh-huh. or something like yeah. that. I mean, they would go for half and half. That's true. We do have half and half. Or something so. like that. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Again, getting sidetracked. Okay. <laughs> the other element about the labs is businesses are apply to be in the space. And is the application different from simply applying to rent a space? Yeah, so we really are looking to work with, it's kind of twofold. So we're looking to work with earlier stage companies. So there's a little bit of a vetting process to make sure that the people applying for lab space are earlier stage companies and their founders. The cost of a desk within a labs program is subsidized by WeWork. So it can be up to 50% less than what they would pay for a traditional desk within WeWork. Um, So there is a little bit of a conversation to make sure they are a startup. There's also a conversation with the program manager of that specific lab to ensure that they really want to be a part of a startup community because so much of the programming that we put forth is really based around the community that evolves when you have 50 companies sitting in the same physical space who are all going through very similar challenges. And that's really where the strength of the the program comes from is that community. So if you have members who are joining and not really interested in participation, it it can fall apart very quickly. That's interesting that it's subsidized. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're already, you're not necessarily working as an accelerator, but subsidizing startups is definitely a huge help. Sure. The other thing that I think is helpful to founders, especially in the early stages, and we've had so many founders come into the studio and share their stories on TechBytes since we've been on the air in tw- since 2015, people, January 2015. Wow. We're coming up on episode 200 later this year. They need people to talk to. Many of the founders are alone or maybe have one co-founder. And sometimes having the space to drive forward on your idea is great. Sometimes you need another person or people to bounce ideas off of and get a reality check or get a baseline check. And that's very difficult to find if you're on your own and you don't have any other resources and things like that. So I would imagine that just being around people, conversing, and also having the opportunity to see other startups, you can get an idea of, yes, that's totally normal to Mm -hmm. have all your stuff on paper, but no actual traction or some traction that doesn't translate into 
dollars, likes, downloads, whatever the yeah. thing is you're making. So it's very interesting. Um, how many spe- how many spots do you have in the food lab in New York, and how many? How long is the waiting list? Sure. Uh, so we have a location that's open right now in Soho, where we have 55 members, and that one is fairly at capacity. We have a few what we call community memberships available. So that is access to the programming, access to the communal space within that building, but not an actual dedicated desk. The wait list for a dedicated desk is is a few dozen long. Um, and then we're opening a flagship space in October where we have room for about 120 startups. So there's space in that building. And then the actual accelerator program that we're launching will have um, enough space for eight members at a time. So we'll go through two cohorts a year of eight members each. And where was the flagship going to be? It is 511 West 25th Street. It's a beautiful building. West 25th Street. Yeah. Is it the Star at Late building? No, it's the old Ironworks building. Okay. It's where the Tesla dealership was mm-hmm. on the ground floor. Mm-hmm. It's right on the High Line. It's a beautiful landmark Very building. Nice. Yeah, we're it's a excited. good neighborhood. It's a great neighborhood. Lots going on. More restaurants now with Hudson yes. Yards. So many more restaurants. Um, the High Line is just like a buzz this time of year. We're so excited to have them in the neighborhood. So it should be a really, really great, vibrant location. Very nice. Yeah. Well, we are going to take a quick break. We're halfway in, people. It's time for the halfway stretch. We're going to take a quick break and find out who is supporting this show. Did you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? Yes, we are. We keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our sponsors, grants, and our members, our members who are mostly listeners like you. It is summertime. It is our summertime member drive, and it is the perfect time while we're on the break for you to go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and become a member. While you're listening to the break, stay with us. This episode was brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, with meeting and event spaces available for on-demand booking. Looking for the next perfect outdoor location for your next gathering? Host your next event at 100 Bogart's impressive rooftop, just steps away from the Morgan L stop. It's one of the largest and tallest roof spaces in Bushwick, boasting 360-degree views of Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. 100 Bogart's rooftop is available for your next networking event, fundraiser, special performance, or photo shoot. There's approximately 5,000 square feet, ample space for up to 100 guests. For more information on hosting an event at 100 Bogart's rooftop, email info at 100bogart.com or call 718-362-3539. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology Do you have a great food startup story you'd like to share? Are you an innovator with a company? Are you an investor or a VC person who's looking for companies? Or maybe you just have a cool app you want us to share with other listeners. Get in touch with us. We are super interactive. You can email us at techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org or find us on social media at techbyteshrn. We would love to hear from you. Today, our intersection of food and technology is the WeWork Food Labs, which has, for the past year and a half, been a community space for 
early startup food companies to come together to work, talk to each other, engage in some programming. And this year, WeWork is launching their very first food accelerator program, which is very exciting. This weekend was this past weekend was actually the deadline for applications. You got about 500 applications, which is amazing. We did. We're so excited. And how many out of the 500 will be participating in the first cohort? So we are narrowing it down to a a lucky eight participants. You have a lot of work to do. We do. We do. (laughs) It started today, um, and it is much harder than I anticipated. There are so many just really cool ideas out there, and it's, it's so exciting to review each application and to just realize the the absolute sheer amount of work that is happening in the food space it's it's remarkable so what are the uh what were the qualifications and requirements for the application there are so many different types of accelerators in the food space now startup you know accelerate up early seed pre post so many permutations what specifically is the we work Food Lab Accelerator looking for? Absolutely. So we took a really wide lens to the approach. We are looking for companies who are moving the needle when it comes to a more positive food future. So if a company can make a valid argument that a core part of their business is either uh, social impact minded or sustainability minded, we are interested in having them as a part of the program. When it comes to stage, uh, we kind of set the terms of the investment that we were really willing to offer. And if that makes sense for the company, they're welcome to apply and join. We have companies who have applied who are in a very early ideation stage who we're excited about. And we have companies who are much further along um, who have maybe already raised a seed round that, that we're also equally excited about. So there is no real set um, qualifier when it comes to stage we're more looking for companies who really have a strong potential to impact the food ecosystem and we're specifically interested in companies who could have serious benefit by having we work as a strategic partner in that process have you seen any broad trends in terms of types of companies you're seeing absolutely i think we've seen a lot in the ai and machine learning spaces and we have seen a lot of um functional food products. So the accelerator is not specific to food tech. We are also accepting applications from CPG brands, from companies who are working in nonprofit spaces, from companies who are working in education, and um, to some degree, the the ag tech and agriculture spaces. So we've seen a lot of, of functional food, and there's been some crossover between like CPG products and food tech in that sense. So that's been really interesting. Any real outliers of something that just seems so fantastical and futuristic? We've definitely seen some robotics companies who, if they are able to deliver on what they are uh, putting forth in their pitch decks, um, would be pretty, pretty phenomenal. Very exciting. So how long will you take to go through the 500 applications? That sounds like a lot. It's a lot, but we have a great team um, who's working on it with us. And I think we'll probably have done a first pass in the next two weeks. And then we'll begin bringing people in for interviews. We have some great advisors to the program who will actually be leading that charge. And then we'll be notifying people on a rolling basis of their um, either progression in the process or uh, rejection from the program. And when does the accelerator actually start? When do people hit the ground in the office? In October. So with the launch of the flagship location. And how long will the program last? Five months. Five months. And then we do it all again. 
Wow. Yeah. What is the curriculum for the five months? So it's, it's fairly mentor-driven, and because we're looking at so many different industry segments, we could have a CPG company with very different needs sitting next to a company working in AI relevant to food tech. Um, we've decided to go with a really mentor-driven approach, and we've built up a pool of about 1,000 mentors that will be able to matchmake with those, those accelerator uh, candidates. So um, each accelerator cohort participant will receive one to two mentors in the specific areas that they're looking to work on. And then we'll have a, a pretty broad um, approach to the rest of the curriculum. We'll have some segments focusing on brand development, some segments focusing on financing, some on regulatory and licensing compliance. So the approach to the curriculum will be fairly broad, but there will be some really specific work happening with each of those mentors. Exciting. Everyone has to be in New York City then. They, at least one founder needs to relocate to New York for City. For five months. For five months. But we're looking to grow the program globally. So We work dorms? We do have We Live. Uh, <laughs> we work at this stage as not providing it's housing. It's downtown, correct? It's downtown. Wall Street? Yeah, 110 Wall Street. With the... Um, the bar. The bar yeah. and also the club, the sports club. Uh, so that's at 85 Broad, which is uh, Rise by We. Yeah. The whole thing. It's going to be a whole closed circle yes. of experience yeah. especially now with food labs we'll have we eat no that's not my our trademark team just had a minor panic attack when i said that but uh is, yeah. is there a restaurant coming there is there are no plans for a restaurant yet are but we sure? will probably be partnering with some great <laughs> ones so we'll leave that up to to some chefs for now oh i would think we work would just given the way the business is it's workspace and it's people going mm -hmm. in. I would think a restaurant would not be the most ideal food purveyor for WeWork. I would think that sort of the next generation vending machines would be very yep. WeWork appropriate. You know, the Absolutely. Michelin starred chef ramen machine, sure. the Cafe X Robo, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff where you had a very Jetsons futuristic staff lounge with all these amazing super fresh vending machines. Absolutely. That would be fun. I could see that being like we eat. Yeah, and we've we've talked to a bunch of them. Um, what's hard about the vending machine is the actual stocking of the product. So in mm -hmm. your typical office building in New York where you have a thousand plus residents, it can be really hard to maintain the stock on one or two vending machines and mm -hmm. they're fairly expensive mm -hmm. um, to place. So that's something we've seen as a little bit of a road bump. Uh, delivery is also huge for us. So mm -hmm. if someone could figure out a way to efficiently deliver group orders mm -hmm. uh, into co-working spaces, I think that would be a big win. Um, we've also talked to a few companies who are doing completely automated um, robotic meal experiences. So it's, mm -hmm. it is a vending machine, but it's more of an automat in the sense that it is a it's meal making prepared something. for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's how the coffee vending machines sure. are and the ramen vending machines that sure. I've seen. Yeah. I tried, I tried one of the ramen vending machines the other week and it was absolutely amazing. So cool. So crazy. Yeah. It's, it's futures nuts. now. The future is right now. It's the Futurama <laughs> future of tomorrowland futures now. The background of my computer is um, a scene from the Jetsons of mm -hmm. the Jetsons futuristic kitchen mm -hmm. where they had like a menu that they would just select their yes. dinner from. And we're not that far away from that. My, one of my favorite future kitchens is, scenes is from the Luc Besson film, The Fifth Element, okay. which is maybe 20 years old at this point. 
where they have a microwave-like object and they put pellets that look like vitamin capsules into a bowl and they hit the microwave and they open the door and a roast turkey dinner comes out. (laughs) That's amazing. I'll need to watch it. It's a great movie. It's quite good. I'll need to watch it. Yeah. It's it's still holding up after all these years. It's like a fun sci-fi thing. Bruce Willis and Mila Hohovich. Spectacular. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Lots of companies, lots of different spaces who have applied. What does your founder demographic look like? Are you going to be evaluating the companies on who the founders are also and have a balance of demographic of founders? Is, it, is that part of how you're looking at the companies? Is it purely the product? Yeah, we don't have any set parameters for like what our ideal cohort blend looks like. Um, founder personality is huge. Founder energy is huge. The experience of each founder is really substantial. I think if you look at our overall program right now, um, it's really diverse. We have founders who are Michelin star chefs, and we have founders who have recently moved to the U.S. and are launching their very first startup. For some of them, it's actually even a first job. So it's a it's a pretty diverse cohort right now. And I, I really think we're just more looking for the, the energy and the passion behind the idea than anything else. In terms of just rough numbers... Half women, three quarters men, small percentage. How does um, how is it looking in terms of national, international men, women? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I would say too soon to tell. You haven't opened all the envelopes yet. It's yeah, it's hard <laughs> to tell. Um, I would say from the the envelopes that we have opened, it's looking fairly diverse. Um, more more located in the U.S. than international, but we've definitely had a pretty amazing response from both Southeast Asia and Europe. Um, but yeah, it's, it's feeling pretty 50-50 uh, from a, a male-female split. Last year, we had two shows where we had startup companies come and pitch a venture capitalist live on the air. That's amazing. For potential funding. And it, it was a lot of fun. And we promoted the show leading up to it to ask for submissions to people to send decks. Sure. And I really wanted to have some women founders. Yeah. Financing for women founders and women's, you know, run startups is is a conversation that we've been having for years. It's not really getting that much better. And I wanted very much to have, you know, a man and a woman, male, female founder or something like that. And in the for the first show, I didn't get a single deck from a woman. Really? And it was at first, you know, I sort of like went through the seven stages of grief, I think. Yeah. At first I was, you know, I didn't understand, but then I got mad because you can't win it if you're not in it. Sure. You know, I wanted nothing more than to have a woman founder sit here sure. and pitch to the VC guy who invested in the wing and a hmm. uh, company called Agrillist, which was run by a woman sure. and had invested in a lot of women founded businesses and not a single one. So I couldn't put up huh. a woman as a founder for money. Yeah, because I didn't get any, and it was really disappointing to me. I feel like I need to do my homework now. I'm I'm curious across the different segments that we've mm-hmm. recruited for. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if I isolated food tech, if it would be predominantly male, or if there would still be that split. Um, that's interesting because I've I've worked previously in the startup space, but more in the CPG catering space um, and CPG hospitality space with food startups, and there you see a really strong presence, especially in New York, of female founders. And I'm wondering if that doesn't translate to the, the food tech space. That's, I'll there definitely are go female back and founders, look. but they didn't submit. That's interesting. They just didn't submit. And huh. there are some female, f- and I've done shows 
with women CEOs sure. and female founders just to sort of talk about the state of the union and things sure. like that. And just no one did. It's so it, it, it was very interesting. So I would just be curious to see yeah. also and then to see how it pans out in terms of what the demographic is. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of, you know, how how that how that shakes out. Sure. We're really lucky. Um, Danielle from Food and Tech Connect, who I'm sure you know, is, mm-hmm. is she one has of been on the show. Yeah, she's been on before indip- individually and with Mike Lee. Yeah, they're um, Food and Tech Connect are founding members of the Food Labs program and are have been great advisors to the process throughout and really thankful to have her presence in the space. And I know a lot of our members, especially our female members, are really excited to see her there. Fantastic. So we're going to start in October. You're going to get through it. I am sure the first pass will inform the second pass for cohort number two. If people are listening and they miss the first deadline, when are you going to start taking applications for cohort number two? Yeah, my thought is around December. So End of the year. End of the year. There has been some discussion of, is the second cohort more foca- focused? Um, is the second cohort expressly in the CPG space, expressly in the food tech space? So we're, as you mentioned, going to kind of see how things go, but more details to follow on that um, and anticipate opening applications up around December. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything that came as a total surprise to you? It is a new oh, process, wow. so I'm sure you have game planned for it. You can, sometimes you can successfully, sometimes you can't, because these types of things have, have the probability to take on a life of their own. But is there something that really surprised you so far? Sure. I think maybe one of the most surprising things to me has been just the warmth of the reception from the rest of the food community when... WeWork announced this initiative. I wasn't sure how it would be perceived because WeWork's not a food brand. We are massive consumers of food and we have members sitting in our spaces who run food businesses, but WeWork admittedly didn't know a lot in the food space. Um, And I was a little bit concerned that it would look like another corporate launching into this like very fragmented, broken industry with this like magic solution. And the response has been just overwhelmingly positive from the startups who have applied to the programs to larger corporates who are interested in what we're doing and interested in learning how we're supporting innovation in this space. It's just been, it's been a great response. I mean, even people like you wanting to talk to us is, is really mind-blowing to me in a way. And we're just, we're so excited. The, the community we've started to build is vibrant and focused and just so so collaborative and it's wonderful to work with them every single day well it'll be interesting to see how it turns out it will you'll have to keep us posted as to when you announce who the companies will be absolutely and when they get here we'll maybe have some of them come on we've had love to do that um, numerous participants from the different accelerators in new york city come on the show sure they're all fascinating it's such a it's an interesting you know, obviously starting a company and building something so interesting, especially if you're trying to be a disruptor or do something new or move the needle. It's fascinating to see what makes it, what doesn't make it, what gets changed by the accelerator advisor experience. Absolutely. Sometimes people go too far off the track and then come back or don't and morph and go away and close. Fail Friday where... Yep. People talk about their first startup didn't work and the second one's going to go better. And sure. It's a, it's a very interesting space. Are you 
either individually or collectively as the accelerator documenting the process and the first ones? Will there be information and documentation happening? It seems like a very techie thing to do. Plus, yeah. if you're monitoring who's sitting in the seats, you probably have great <laughs> ways to do that. Oh, man. Um, yes, yeah, so we'll redispatch the people in lab coats uh, to check mm-hmm, the progress mm-hmm. of the startups. No, I mean, we... We watch. Uh, yes, yes, you watch. Uh, <laughs> our trademark attorney is just having a heart attack right now. Um, so Little W's. Yes. Space. <laughs> Little W's hyphen. All good. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we definitely again, have that program manager who sits on site and kind of checks in with the, the startups regularly to monitor their progress. And I think it's it's not only great information for WeWork to have, but it's great information for the startups to have. To have someone, I mean, so often that startup experience is so isolated and there's no one to hold you accountable. And when you're talking to your investors and when you're talking to your board, there can sometimes be like a, a wall of maybe distrust is the wrong word, but sometimes you put your guard up and you're not entirely forthright with the experiences and the challenges that you're going through. The hope is with WeWork Labs and WeWork Food Labs that you can be completely open with that program manager and you can really share your experience and your obstacles with them and get genuine feedback. Um, So the transparency issue for startups is a really tricky one. I think there's an element of people wanting to present a very successful unified front for their business and they're maybe hesitant to be entirely transparent because they want to appear to be successful and viable sure there's also you know within that line and again having you know worked with so many founders both as an advisor at different accelerators and interviewing them on this show there's a lot of grandiose sort of promises and hyperbole sometimes to make things sound Mm -hmm. more exciting And when you interview someone as a journalist and you start to ask the questions about how that becomes documented or not, if you can, you know, exhibit proof points or not, a lot of times, you know, it's not necessarily true because they are presenting information with the idea of like the good, the good stand-up showcase deck. So it's very interesting. It's a very tricky slope. The other thing is that oftentimes people... have a hard time differentiating what their differentiator is. Yes, that's so true. And, I mean, Google's really helpful for that. Yes, absolutely. Asking Google if there are other companies. Knowing what your competitor set, what your comp set is, is so important. Oftentimes people say, oh, you know, we are the only one doing this. And it's like, really? I actually had somebody on my show talk about that two years ago. Interesting. So it'll be... It'll be interesting times, but hopefully, yeah, being in that space will be fruitful and there'll be just a lot of new, exciting energy probably to be in the new flagship also. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's been wonderful so far. Well, good luck getting Thank through you. those 500 applications. <laughs> to listeners, I'm sorry that you cannot apply now, but where should people go to keep tabs on what's happening with the current accelerator and make an application to become a member at one of the WeWork food labs. Absolutely. So they can go to wework.com backslash food labs, or they can reach out to us directly via email at foodlabs at wework.com. Fantastic. Yep. That is easy enough. And WeWork is all over social media at WeWork. All one word, no hyphens. <laughs> <laughs> 
I want to thank Tessa Price for coming to Bushwick to Roberta's Pizza to the Heritage Radio Network studio to talk about their exciting new accelerator. We will have to have you back with some of your cohort. Absolutely. We should even maybe do a show from your space. That would be fun. Maybe like the final of the eight should mm-hmm. be like selected. Or some live of the programming. Yeah. We're very good at food tech programming here on Tech Bites. I have heard, yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so look out for that. Thank you for coming. If you are a first time listener, come back and see us. We broadcast live on Tuesday, Eastern Standard Time at six PM. If you can't listen live, you can find us on your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify. You can also find us online at heritageradionetwork.org, also the place where you can click the beating heart and make a donation and become a member. We are celebrating our 10th anniversary, and we would like to be on the air for another 10 more years. We have 35 live shows every week talking about everything from opening a restaurant Farm report, brewing, cheese, fermenting, cherry bomb, lots of good stuff. Help us stay on the air. Give us a donation. Maybe what you spent on coffee or pizza <laughs> this week. If you designate your donation to Tech Bites, I will send you something special along with my undying love. I am Jennifer Leuzzi, and this is Tech Bites. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.